everybody. It's me, Amanda, with Once in a Wild, and welcome back to Once in a Wild Wednesday, where we broadcast on Facebook and YouTube every single week on Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. Central Time. Welcome back if you are returning, and welcome for your first time if this is your first time. If you are not familiar with Once in a Wild, we are a mobile zoo located in San Antonio, Texas, and we can service the South Texas area as well, and we can bring the zoo to your next birthday party, to your classroom or summer school. Um, we can bring them to a nursing home, anything at all, um, where animals would make your event or just your day better. We can help you out. We even offer animal therapy as well. And we also offer virtual animal experiences too. And we just did that today with the San Antonio Library, the public library. And we were on um, one of their virtual well, gatherings that they were actually in charge of today, and we got to jump on board there. If you watched that today with the San Antonio Public Library, uh, awesome. I'm really happy that we had so many guests sign on and register for our class. We had almost like 200 people register. I don't know how many people actually showed up because I wasn't in charge of that, so I couldn't count how many there were, but there were so many kiddos enjoying the show, so I'm really happy um, that that was such a success. And uh, if you're here in the San Antonio, Texas area, please make sure to check out the San Antonio Public Library. They are back open again and uh, doing very well. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started here on Once in a Wild Wednesday. Once again, welcome, and I hope your week was really, really good. I hope everybody's enjoying their summer so far. If you're not quite out of school yet, don't worry. It's right around the corner. If you, if you happen to be in summer school, I'm so very sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that you are enjoying it, though, and the weather is beautiful and hot. It has been really stormy, um, actually, lately here in my hometown, San Antonio, Texas, and uh, that makes the grass grow a lot and all the plants really happy, though, so that is pretty cool to see that, and uh, all the animals really like the rain as well for the most part, right? And our ducks certainly enjoy the rain. <laughs> so if you are unfamiliar with us, I do wanna go over a couple of things really quickly before we begin our animal encounter, our virtual animal encounter. Um, and that is to let you know that we do broadcast every single Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. Central Time because we are right in the middle of South Texas and that is our time zone. So we do broadcast every single Wednesday unless there is some reason we're taking the week off or something like that. And we will always let you know ahead of time. Um, but usually you can find us every Wednesday on YouTube and Facebook. If you have not follow us, followed us on Facebook or Instagram or even TikTok, if you happen to be old enough or you like TikTok, not everybody likes TikTok, but I sure have a lot of fun on there. We do have a TikTok too. And we also have a Twitter too. That's not also for everybody. It's not my favorite personally, but um, we do have all of those social medias for you. The links are always down in the description below as well as at onceinawild.com you can find all the links to our social media that is where you can actually keep up with us the best as far as what's going on what events we're attending or being part of or um we are providing to you guys in person or virtual like we had today um you can check us out there but if you haven't followed us on social media go ahead and do that for me if you happen to be a social media type person and uh comment and like and uh let us know how you if you like the posts and things like that and which posts you like and comment and give us all sorts of feedback that always helps us and that's a free way to help us out and if you have youtube and you use youtube do me a very very big favor and subscribe to our youtube channel and hit the notification bell as well as like the videos and comment on the videos that helps us out quite a bit as well uh, youtube is one of our newest endeavors along with tiktok and we're trying to build up our following on youtube and tiktok right now so if you would please help us out by doing that that would be a big big help and a free way to help us out 
And the program that we provide to you each and every Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. Central is free of charge. We never charge for this particular program, um, but we do offer um, the ability for you to tip and donate to our zoo if you wish to do so. And there are several options for you there for your convenience. They're all in the description down below as well. But we also have um, a link at onceinawild.com. If you go to our website, which is right here, onceinawild.com, and you scroll to almost the very bottom, you will see a square that says, that's not a square, that's a circle. It's a rectangular-ish shape square thing <laughs> and it will say donate and that's how you can find all of our donation options and um those options are venmo cash app paypal and our amazon wish list where you can actually pick out animal items that we've pre-chosen on that list for you guys to donate which is always a big help and we very very much appreciate anything that's donated to once in a while and any amount that's donated to once in a while because um every little bit helps us take care of the animals and all the proceeds believe you me, go straight to animal care. We do, um, of course, buy food for the animals and enrichment for the animal, caging, all sorts of things, travel carriers, blankets, you name it, for the animals. Vet care, of course, um, is part of that as well. Um, and so we appreciate any and every amount donated to once in a while. And the best way to help us out is by purchasing your own personal uh, customized animal encounter, whether it be virtual or in person if you happen to be in our neck of the woods, which is South Texas. So let us know if you are interested in your next birthday party or your child's next birthday party. It could be for you or your child. We are actually, um, for all ages. So anywhere from little, little ones all the way up to senior citizens, we can definitely um, provide you a really fun animal encounter for any age. We can make it more educational or we can make it more casual and it's always fun either way. So let us know and you can visit onceinawild.com to learn more or you can actually call us right here at our number down below, which we always provide right here for you and then in the description box down below. So thank you very much for joining us today. today I have brought two animals. Last week, we also talked about two animals and we compared and contrasted those species. Last week, we talked about a African ball python and an African hedgehog, which I thought was really fun. They are very, very different type animals that have a lot in common and have, of course, a lot not in common or not, not the same um, about them. So they're different and the same at the same time. And we talked about some of those differences. Today, I brought two very similar animals just two. Sometimes I bring three, sometimes I bring five. It just depends on the subject at hand or what I feel like doing today. <laughs> um, just, to, just so you guys know, if you happen to um, purchase your own virtual animal encounter, that starts at one hour. And we actually try to bring six to eight animals for your personal um, animal experience virtually. Um, and in person as well. It starts at one hour and typically includes eight animals. But on the live stream, I like to talk a little bit longer about the animals. So I do limit it to usually around three animals, sometimes five, sometimes one, depending on what we're talking about. For example, um, for around Easter time, springtime, I did talk about rabbits and I brought our only, only rabbit, Sandor, the Flemish giant rabbit. And that video is really fun as well. You can watch that one. It went on forever. <laughs> I can talk very, very long time about whatever, but um, the, the rabbit video was about rabbit care and whether or not a rabbit is right for your family and all the research that you need to do and all the commitment that you need to make to have a rabbit in your life. And that's what we went ahead and covered for our Easter video. 
today's not Easter <laughs> or around Easter. And I just randomly picked two animals that are similar yet different. And they have a lot in common and they have a lot different between them. And today we're meeting some creepy crawly critters. So we have a tarantula and we have a scorpion to meet today. And it's one of our largest tarantulas and our largest of all of our scorpions. So we're actually gonna meet the tarantula first. Her name is Blondie. And if you're not comfortable with creepy crawlies, that is okay. I'm not going to be mad at you. I know not everybody is super in love with all animals like I am. <laughs> not everybody loves snakes and spiders and tarantula and well, spiders are tarantulas and uh, scorpions and even bugs. And what are some other animals? Um, frogs, sometimes people don't like them. But we actually off offer exposure therapy here at Once in a Wild, which sounds a little strange, but it's actually um, just getting you exposed to some of your fears. If you happen to be afraid of spiders, we might be able to bring a spider in your vicinity and maybe get you used to just being in the same room with them. And then gradually working your way up to being next to them even touching or holding the spider. But the best, best way to conquer your fears is actually getting more information or more exposure, if you will, to snakes, spiders, bugs, whatever you happen to be a little bit nervous around. Maybe you're nervous around birds and we can help you meet some nice birds or some nice tarantulas if you happen to be a little bit nervous around tarantulas and other creepy crawlies. So this is Blondie and she's an Arizona blonde tarantula. And she does let me hold her very gently in different ways. She's a very gentle and um, docile tarantula. So she's a great one to actually meet if you're a little bit nervous around tarantulas. And she's a great tarantula to teach about because she lets me um, actually present her in pretty much any way I want to. And I can show her different her different features and body parts to teach kiddos of all ages about arachnids. So of course she is an arachnid. First of all, she's an arthropod and an invertebrate, which both of our critters today are actually invertebrates and arthropods. Arthropods just mean many feet. <laughs> and invertebrates, of course, being an invertebrate, that literally means no bones. So invertebrates have zero bones inside of their body. They don't have a skeleton. Instead, they have an exoskeleton or shell, right? So on the outside of their body is where their structure is. It's a shell like a crab or a lobster or a spider or an insect. All sorts of animals that are invertebrates have an outer shell. Not every sort of invertebrate actually has a hard outer shell. Some, such as octopus and squid and things like that, they're actually very soft and they're typically going to be an aquatic type animal, right? So the, the, uh, the water in their body and the water around them helps them to support their structure. But this type of animal is a land animal. They don't live in the water. In fact, this is a desert species of tarantula and tarantulas do live all over the place. They might be in, found in the jungle. They might be found in the forest. They might be found in your own backyard sometime. And they might be found in Arizona, which is where the Arizona blonde tarantula comes from. And she and other tarantulas found in other desert habitats, they are very well adapted to a hot, dry, barren type climate, right? And habitat or biome, right? So they are very well adapted to basically not ever having to drink water and eating very little. So this type of tarantula and most desert or even dry forest type tarantulas, not the rainforest, more dry type weather, um, those guys don't have to eat every day. In fact, no spider has to eat every day, but your tropical type species of tarantula, like your pink toe tarantulas, etc., those guys um, can actually eat every day if they want to or store food. A lot of tropical type spiders or wet weather spiders do store food or they try to eat every day. That can happen. Maybe they'll eat small meals. But most spiders only eat about once a week, more or less. This type of spider, though, since they live in a very dry climate and are adapted to living there, um, they usually eat about once a month. That is very comfortable for them. 
eating once a month. Here with us, um, we do feed Blondie about every other week, which is more than enough. And we typically give her more than one food item each feeding. So she can kind of choose to eat them now or later. Um, typically I'll give her a couple of crickets and she'll eat them over a couple of days per every other week, if that makes sense. Um, she does prefer crickets over dubia roaches and worms and things like that. Sometimes I've offered her like super worms, like kind of safely with tongs. And I have offered her dubia roaches. She ate one dubia roach for me one time, but otherwise she really likes the, the gut loaded crickets. Now, if you do have arachnids at home and you're taking care of them or you want one someday, it is important to gut load your crickets before feeding them out to your animals because crickets are basically like a hollow shell. They're also an invertebrate with an exoskeleton and crickets aren't really much nutrition for your animals in general, even for your lizards and other animals that eat crickets, which are lots of them, even like hedgehogs eat crickets. It's really important to make sure that those crickets are getting the proper nutrition and gut load, if you will, um, before they are fed out to your animals. That way they have enough nutrition to pass on to those animals and enough moisture inside of them as well because crickets that are not fed properly, maybe they're just from the pet store and the pet store wasn't necessarily feeding them that day or feeding them properly. They're just a hollow shell. It's like eating, I don't even know what to compare it that to, but it's like eating a taco shell with no taco meat in it. <laughs> you're not getting nearly as much <laughs> nutrition. I never thought about it that way, but um, you're not getting as much nutrition. And especially when they don't eat very often, when they do eat, they need that nutrition. So that's, that's something I always want to mention when feeding out crickets. Dubia roaches and other feeders like that are much better, um, a much better choice for your arachnids and animals in general. But sometimes you get picky eaters like this one who only want to eat crickets. One of our chameleons, um, Sam, is like that too. And he likes crickets crickets more than roaches and worms. So we tend to feed him more gut loaded cricket than anything else, just because that stimulates him to eat a little bit better. Crickets do move a lot more. I also have one of our leopard geckos, Fiona, who prefers crickets over worms too. She has now converted pretty much over to worms too, but I digress. Um, those guys sometimes just need a little bit more movement and stimulation. And that's the best thing about crickets is they do move and jump. And uh, oftentimes that will stimulate your predatory cricket eating animals or bug eating animals to actually go after them and eat because they are hunters after all. And they do sometimes need a little bit of visual stimuli or motion in a spider's case, since they're mostly motivated by their sense of vibrations and feel. Um, but anyway, uh, these guys in the wild are gonna eat a variety of different types of insects like roaches, crickets, maybe other arachnids too, all sorts of things. If they find a smaller scorpion or smaller spider, they will certainly uh, try to eat it because that's gonna be their opportunity to eat. I'm gonna make sure she's comfortable before I move on with information. Now, these guys, again, they're a desert species and they can go a full year without eating you guys, which I find fantastically, uh, what's the word? Interesting about them. My brain is not working for some reason tonight. Please forgive me. <laughs> it's been a long week. But um, these guys will sometimes eat um, all sorts of stuff though. And they will, I mean, if a lizard comes by and is a little bit too close, they will try to eat that. But it's their opportunity to eat, especially in the wild. Here with us, she's pretty spoiled and she gets regular meals. So she's not as picky or she's not um, as not picky <laughs> as she would be in the wild. That's what I'm trying to say. These guys are awesome though, you guys. And like I said, they can go a full year without eating with very little consequences. It wouldn't be ideal for them but they could potentially go a whole year without eating. That's amazing. Not every spider is like that. Hello, Ricky. Ricky's saying hi and giving a thumbs up. That is so nice. 
So a lot of people are a little bit leery about tarantulas and they're kind of scared of them. Maybe you're terrified of them and you have arachnophobia. Again, we can help you with that if you want. Um, most tarantula species are completely harmless to humans and no tarantula is deadly to humans unless you happen to be one of those extremely rare people that happen to be extremely allergic to them. And that is very, very rare with tarantula venom. They do have venom, and they have to have venom in order to actually make their food edible to them. So these guys do hunt for a living. Now how this particular species of tarantula hunts is by basically staying at home. So they basically just wait for food to come knocking at their front door. So this animal would live on the ground strictly and they're a nocturnal animal because they live in such a hot climate. They're not really gonna come out during the day because it's way too hot and sunny for them to tolerate that. Um, so they're gonna mostly be under the ground unless they need to come out at night for some reason, like they need to move into a different and safer home. Um, maybe they haven't eaten in a long, long time and they want to go out and actually find food if they're just starving. Um, but most of the time they're gonna be in their burrow underground underneath something, maybe just as simple as underneath a flat rock or underneath a fallen tree land that's been there for a long time. They will make a burrow under the ground and they will actually line their burrow with web. And their web looks more like Halloween decoration than it does like Charlotte's web, for example, like a, a beautiful like lined web um, that some spiders have to recreate like every single day, like garden spiders and things like that. These guys actually make a web that lasts a lot longer and it's more like a carpet and looks like cobweb or Halloween decoration, right? And they will kind of line their whole house all the way to the front door and the front of that burrow, or maybe they have a two-way, maybe it's a tunnel, they'll line the whole thing. And if they sit on the web, that's very comfortable, number one, <laughs> to sit on that nice carpet of web, but they will also wait for um, animals to basically come to the front or back of their burrow and um, they will wait for that vibration to happen. These guys do have hair all over their body, which is very similar to a cat's whiskers. And that helps them to feel vibrations, of course. They can feel the vibrations of the web itself like basically sitting on the web and they feel that vibration over here and they say, ooh, something's at the door. Could be food, it could be something dangerous. If it's something dangerous, maybe they can get away. If it's something dangerous, maybe they can at least like hide in the back where that animal can't reach them, hopefully, right? If it's another predator after them. But usually it's gonna be something that they wanna eat, like a bug crawling in, a moth, a cricket, a roach, something like that, maybe another smaller spider, small scorpion. And that's when they're going to kind of crawl forward and grab the food. They do have two front arms, which are called pedipalps. It is technically an extension of their mouth, but they are basically their arms. That's how they use them is like an arm function. And they're just shorter than the rest of their legs. They have eight walking legs and two arm-like appendages called pedipalps. And they will use their pedipalps and two front legs typically to grab that food that they want to eat. And simultaneously, they will bite and inject into the prey with their fangs. Can you see her fangs? Make sure she's in focus. Her fangs are black in this species. And behind the fangs, it is like kind of a red color. So cool looking. The fangs are folded underneath their face. Oh, that's a good shot. They are folded underneath their face when they are not using them. And they are on a hinge, just like a viper's fangs are, venomous viper, snake, right? They can swing forward. And in these front mouth parts called chelicerae, that is where they pump the venom. So that is where the venom is actually located, is in these front mouth parts. So it kind of looks like a handlebar mustache in the front there. That is basically like this. And the fangs are underneath. They swing forward and they can inject venom just like a viper snake can. And that venom for a tarantula liquefies their food. 
while they hang on to the food with their arms, two front legs, and their chelicere hinge and fangs will actually hang on to the food as well, all simultaneously. So they're kind of hanging on with two, four, six arm-like appendages, right? <laughs> but two are legs, two are arms, and two are chelicerian fangs. <laughs> kind of cool though. And all those things happen at once. The venom will go into the food, which is the bug, and the bug will start to liquefy on the inside. And when that is all done taking effect, the spider then can, the tarantula, can then suck <laughs> the, uh, the liquid out of the bug with their straw-like mouth. They have a proboscis proboscis mouth, which is similar to like a fly. Um, and they can actually suck the food. <laughs> they drink the food out of a straw-like mouth part that they have. And that's how they eat. So that is really what their venom is for. It's not for a whole lot of defense. They can potentially bite for defense, but they'd much rather get away, run away, hide. Um, they use their hair for defense too, and I'll explain that in a little bit. They much rather do all of that than bite because most tarantulas don't have very strong venom. It might hurt like a bee sting, but it's not gonna be enough really to deter most predators compared to how big they are. So if, if, uh, if what I mean is like if a, another animal comes along that wants to eat the tarantula, they're gonna be a lot more powerful most of the time than the tarantula itself. The tarantula isn't deadly to much animals except for very tiny animals, right? So, and they liquefy those animals to eat them. And that's really the main reason they have venom at all. They also don't wanna waste their venom. Venom is precious and they have to recreate it every time they use it. They have to basically uh, gain more. It's like when you fill up your car with gas, they have to let their body re replenish the venom. So they don't want to waste it. So another way they can defend themselves is with their hair. Um, this type of tarantula and many other types of tarantulas can actually use their hair for defense, not just by wearing hair and having a little bit of a coat on to help their body just be safe in general. Of course, their hairs are mostly for feeling vibrations. Like I said before, kind of like whiskers all over their body. But they also can use their back leg and rub against their abdomen, which is their hind end there. They can rub against that abdomen and cause hair to basically fly into the air like a little cloud of hair. And it's almost invisible as well. It's invisible to most animals. And that cloud of hair will be like traveling in the air backwards like this and go right into the face of that predator trying to eat the tarantula. And that will actually cause an irritation to their face and their eyeballs. So it's kind of like when you get an eyelash in your eye, but like times a hundred and you didn't even see it coming. So it's like, ooh, what happened to me? And that's typically um, enough deterrent to um, allow that predator to be very busy with that and be irritated and at least shutting their eyes like, ooh, what happened? My eyes hurt. And that will allow the tarantula to get away and run away and be safe, right? So they would much rather do that than bite. Biting and using their venom is a lot more work and it may not even work enough to defend them. So most tarantulas don't really opt to bite. Some tarantulas do and can bite. <laughs> um, and most tarantulas that do that, they're just not a really a handleable tarantula to humans. Again, they're not deadly to humans, but a bite from some of the tarantulas that we have and some of the tarantulas I've worked with in the past, it's, et cetera, um, it's not a fun thing to experience. It does hurt. And so we don't really want to you know, have that happen to us or put the tarantula through that kind of stress as well. So we only handle the tarantulas that are okay with being handled and that don't bite, right? <laughs> that is a little more, a little bit more responsible. So I'm just trying to make sure that she's comfortable and I'm comfortable at the same time. Ricardo asks, how many babies does it have? So tarantulas in general, I can't remember how much the, the um, Arizona blonde, 
that Blondie is. That's her species, the Arizona Blonde Tarantula. I can't remember exactly how many babies this species can have, but I know in general, some tarantulas have a lower end amount of eggs, um, and that can be anywhere from 100 to 300. And then some tarantulas can have anywhere from 200 to 5,000 eggs, depending on the fertility that they're experiencing. But on average, it's 200 to 2,000. And like I said, some can have up to 5,000. They have extremely tiny eggs and their eggs are laid and they're very tiny and they keep them in a little um, sack, which is like a purse. And they make that out of their own web. Like I said, tarantulas do make webs. All tarantulas make webs. And some tarantulas live in the trees. So they'll make webs in between the leaves and in between the tree branches and maybe in a hollow tree to live in. And some tarantulas like Blondie here, they would live on the ground as a species goes as a wild animal. I'm gonna scoop this over so I can rest my elbow. I think that will help me to hold her for you guys. There we go. If I'm shaking, it's me, not her. <laughs> I'm just uh, lifting my arm up for a long time. It's kind of tiring a little bit, no big deal. Um, these guys do make the web, like I said. And like I said, they also keep um, their babies in a web purse to keep them safe. So that is where they lay all of their eggs and they will hold on to them and protect them until they're ready to hatch. And one difference between tarantulas and other spider type animals, <laughs> spider type animals, other spiders, Amanda, <laughs> um, is that most spiders only have a very short life expectancy and they only have like one or two times that they would have babies and then they pass away. Tarantulas actually live a long time when they're girls. We're going to figure this out yet. Um, Tarantula females, for the most part, can live a long time. This species can live up to 30 or so years when female. If they are male, however, they do not live that long. In fact, they only live to be about five years old if they're boys. Now, if you live where I live, which is in Texas, or really in the United States, um, anywhere around the United States, we do have tarantulas here too. And this is an animal you would see in the United States if you happen to live in Arizona or surrounding areas around Arizona in the desert habitats. Um, you would see these guys sometimes, but you almost never see the females. The females are the ones that kind of stay in their burrow and never ever leave. And the males are the ones that sometimes travel quite a bit, especially seasonally. Now that is gonna be for the mating season. The male tarantulas only live to be about three, maybe five years old. That is a big difference in life expectancy from male to female, isn't it? Females, like I said, can live to be in their 30s for this species, and a lot of species can live into their 30s. There's a few tarantulas that only make it to about 12 to 15 as a female. That's still a long time for an invertebrate, isn't it? Most invertebrates don't live very long, like insects don't live very long, usually, as an adult, right? Some insect species live longer as pupa or as larva, and then when they become an adult, they don't live very long at breeding age. Um, male tarantulas grow very fast, and they only live for a few years, like I said. So they're kind of in a bit of a hurry to be able to find mates. So a lot of times they will be wandering around looking for the females burrows underground in order to be able to reproduce. So they're not looking to hurt you at all. They're looking for love. That is usually when you see the male tarantulas wandering around, they're just looking for a female. <laughs> they're using their sense of smell and their sense of touch in order to find uh, a female. They, they're looking for, for the pheromones, I almost said hormones. They have hormones, but they're using um, their sense their senses to find and locate pheromones, which tell the male that it's time for breeding. If it's not time for breeding, the females will actually eat the males. <laughs> so if he's not careful enough and it's not really, you know, that time and she's not into it, <laughs> then she might try to make a meal out of him. And that happens quite a bit. That can happen even after breeding, kind of like a praying mantis. Although the praying mantis is a lot more common for them to go ahead and eat the male 
during or after that happens. And that's dramatic. But uh, these guys are fantastic. So I just want to make sure you guys know that if you see tarantulas wandering in Texas or the United States, they're not trying to hurt you. They're not trying to scare you. They don't want anything to do with humans. They're terrified of you. We're a lot bigger than them. And they're just looking to fulfill that instinct. They're looking for mates. They might be looking for food as well. And uh, you can just leave them alone. They're not deadly to humans. In fact, they're very beneficial to humans. Um, these guys along with lots of arachnids, they do eat bugs for us. Like I already mentioned, so they're going to eat pesky animals like roaches, flies, sometimes moths and things like that, but lots of roaches and flies and uh, very pesky and um, non-beneficial insects like that, that can spread diseases and make us generally unhappy and sick. <laughs> so it's very, very important to have spiders in the natural ecosystem. It's extremely important. So please don't kill spiders. If you see a spider, you can brush them out your front door. Um, if you see a tarantula, you can collect them maybe with a glass and a piece of paper. I promise you it will not kill you. <laughs> Tarantulas really don't kill people ever. Um, like I said, unless you're one of the extremely rare people that's very, very allergic to their venom. And even then it's very rare um, that you would ever pass away. There are similar species over in Australia called the funnel web spider, which is actually not a tarantula, which looks like a tarantula, but that is not something we have to worry about here in the U United States, thank goodness. But that's a very large spider, which actually is very dangerous to humans. And they collect their venom for anti-venom over there in Australia. I saw a documentary on that one time and it was really fascinating how they collect the venom from their fangs. Isn't that cool? I'm going to show you her fangs one more time. Now you'll notice she's actually got a hold of my skin here on my thumb here. See that? She was a little bit attached to me. And that is because tarantulas have claws. So tarantulas, just like cats, they have retractable claws. And not only do they have hair, kind of like a mammal. <laughs> They're covered in hair, kind of like us mammals. Um, but they have hair for mostly feeling vibrations, protecting their body, as well as using for that weapon, right? Um, but they also have claws. So their claws are very, very tiny. And she wasn't hurting me by hanging onto my finger. Um, that didn't hurt me at all. In fact, I didn't want to hurt her by um, pulling that away too quickly. But she can gain some traction with her claws by crawling on the ground, crawling on her web, etc. And some tarantulas climb trees, like I mentioned already. So those guys especially need their retractable claws to climb up surfaces um, like trees or leaves or branches or whatever in order to live and get away and hunt and all that and get around and live in the trees. But they have teeny tiny claws, which like I said, are retractable, which means they can actually pull them into their toes and they're not using them. And they can bring them out when they need to and they need to gain traction. For a um, terrestrial or ground dwelling spider like this, it's mostly to gain traction while they're walking around. And that helps them to just kind of walk. But again, for those tree climbing tarantulas or arboreal species, that's what that's called, arboreal, like arbol, um, which is Spanish for tree, right? Um, arboreal species of anything, they need a way to climb. So that's how smaller arboreal tarantulas or even big arboreal tarantulas will climb trees is with their retractable claws. Isn't that cool? So they have a lot more in common with like a cat than you thought, I'm sure. So these guys are hunters as well. Um, they have retractable claws. They do have eyes. Their eyesight is not very good though, you guys. So their main sense is gonna be that sense of touch, vibration. They can also smell a bit as well, but they smell very, very differently than us. They don't have a nose. They are uh, extremely different. They also, like I said, do not see very well. They do, however, have eight eyes. Most tarantulas have eight eyes and their eyes are located right here on top of their head. So back to their body parts, just to show you, 
a tarantula has a figure eight shaped body. There's like a, a round part here and a round part there. Sorry, you guys, I should have angled my camera a little bit differently today, but I didn't know. Um, let's see real quick. So you can see her cephalothorax and her abdomen there. Those are two main body parts. That is a feature of all arachnids, including spiders, um, tarantulas, oh, spiders and tarantulas, guys, spiders, scorpions, ticks, and I believe lice as well are, are actually arachnids. They have two main body parts. They have eight walking legs and two arm-like appendages called pedipalps. And they do have the chelicerae as well. Arachnids have that too. Um, instead of your three body parts, six legs, and antenna, like a, like a um, in insect would have. I'm having a hard time, you guys, so be patient with me. But what was I saying? Oh, their eyes. Their eyes are located right on top of their cephalothorax, right here. And that is kind of like her head and midsection combined. Cephalo means head. Thorax is usually midsection. Cephalothorax. So that's what that is. Um, insects would have a head, thorax, and abdomen. She's got a cephalothorax, which is head and midsection combined, and an abdomen. So two body parts instead of three body parts, right? So that's where her eyes are located. There are eight eyes in a cluster, tiny, tiny little cluster right there on top of her head. And you would think with eight eyes she could see great, but she cannot. Um, her vision is only based on shadows and movement and no color at all. She can only see like, like gray shadows. And that will help her to kind of sense um, danger overhead or danger coming close. But her sense of touch is so sensitive that they would actually sense the movement um, with their hair before they would see something. So I think that's kind of cool. Well, it's mostly for this species, since they're a burrowing species, it's to kind of detect um, changes in light and dark. And that's going to help them out. I'm trying to think of anything else I want to tell you about the tarantula. Please let me know if you have questions whatsoever. If you're just joining us today, we are meeting two creepy crawlies today. One is Blondie, the Arizona blonde tarantula, which is a species found, of course, in Arizona. And they're a desert dwelling species. They can go up to a year without eating, but prefer to eat about once a month. And we do offer her food about every other week. So twice a month to keep her nice and happy and healthy. Um, Blondie, we don't know her age specifically for this individual. Um, we did acquire her as an adult. And when that happens, since the species lives a long time into their 30s for females like this, she is a female, thank goodness. And she's not going anywhere anytime soon, we hope. Um, she is a girl. And we do know that by her size and age. I have had her quite a long time now and uh, over the lifespan of a male. <laughs> so, and she was actually given to us you know, and we were told she's a female. So whoever actually gave her to us was like, yes, she's definitely female. There are ways to tell through looking at their molts as well as um, some other body features. Sometimes for the males of these species, they will have longer legs and thinner bodies. Their, th their body parts will be thinner in the center. And sometimes the males will actually have little um, kind of hooks underneath their front two legs, not their arms, but their legs. They have these two pedipalp arms and the legs here, they will have big hooks underneath their their legs. And that's actually for mating purposes. So, but um, these guys are pretty easy to tell the difference between male and female. And again, she was given to me as a female. That doesn't always work out. Sometimes you're sold a tarantula or given a tarantula that's supposed to be a female. And then you find out later that they're male. But typically it's very, very obvious by a certain age um, through their longer legs, the hooks and their skinnier bodies, depending on the species, of course. But uh, we don't know how old she is. That's that's what I was uh, trying, trying to tell you guys. Um, she is a breeding size, adult, mature female, Arizona blonde tarantula. This is about as big as they get. 
They are pretty large, not the largest in the world. The largest in the world is the Goliath bird eating tarantula, which is about four times as big as this. Um, but this is a very large tarantula in general, especially for a species in the United States. And they're quite impressive. But again, you don't have anything to worry about with tarantulas in general, especially in the US. Most of the tarantulas that we see completely harmless. They're not going to bite. They're they're just trying to get away. They're trying to live their life. Let them eat your roaches. Let them eat your flies. <laughs> um, and other spiders, of course, eat mosquitoes too, the smaller spiders. So they're very, very beneficial to us. So that was Blondie, our Arizona blonde tarantula. She's a great um, ambassador for her species and for tarantulas in general. And again, we do actually offer therapy with our spiders. Some of our spiders are very docile like this. We have two in particular. We have Blondie, the Arizona Blonde, and we have a pink toe tarantula named Tiptoes. And both of those are extremely um, safe to hold. So we can hold them for you and actually show them up close and show kids and adults alike um, all their moving parts and uh, teach you all about how harmless they are and how wonderful they are and how you can just leave them alone. And they'll leave you alone. Or we can even let select few of you who want to conquer your fears or you just love tarantulas, we can let you guys hold them um, in, of course, a supervised situation. And we make sure that they're safe and you're safe and everybody's doing well. But if that's something you're interested in, please let me know by contacting us at the number right here down below. We would love to meet you in person if you happen to be in the South Texas area. If not, we can provide a virtual animal encounter for you. If creepy crawlies are your thing, then we can theme it out <laughs> either virtually or in person to have a creepy crawly themed encounter. We have all sorts of invertebrates to show you guys. But let me show you one more and we'll let Blondie go ahead and rest. And we'll let my arm rest a little bit. The next animal um, is a little bit easier to hold at a certain angle like this. I don't have to worry about the next animal falling. Fun thing about or not so fun thing about tarantulas is that they're actually quite quite fragile. Say quite fragile five times fast. They're quite fragile. They're more um they're more fragile than people think. We're a lot more dangerous to them than they are to us. <laughs> if you think about it, we're so much larger and so much heavier than them. And they're quite fragile. They're almost like, like dry leaves, like they're super fragile. So if she were to fall, that would not be good for her. She's not, I'm holding her above like my computer. So that's not that far up, but I'm always very careful that I'm not gonna drop her because that would not be good for especially that type of tarantula. Some of your tree climbing type tarantulas are a little bit more capable of kind of skittering around and they're lighter weight. And so they're a lot, safer, if you will, to hold for them um, than a heavy bodied ground tarantula, because those guys are very much designed to just be on the ground. They're not designed to take a fall. They're not designed to climb or jump at all. They just kind of walk on the ground. Some of them climb a little bit, but only like a like, uh, just like little tiny hill <laughs> or a little tiny mound or rock on the ground in the desert. But in general, if she were to take a fall, that wouldn't be good for her. So I'm always very careful. I don't want anything to happen to Blondie. But this girl here, she's got a lot more armor on her. And she actually will um, stay on my hand a lot easier. And I just love her. She's my favorite of all of our invertebrates. It's Xena. Xena, the African flat rock scorpion. So this is actually one of the largest species of scorpion in the entire world. Um, this one and the emperor scorpion kind of are tied for the largest. The African flat rock, which is what Xena is, this one, um, is the largest by space that they take up when they sit on something. You can see how big they are. 
She is just huge. Um, and the Emperor Scorpion is heavier by a little bit. <laughs> so they're, they're a little bit less space that they take up, but this Scorpion here is lighter in weight and really easy to hold. As you can see, she kind of grips onto my hand and just perches there, which is fantastic. African flat rock scorpions are found in Africa and it's another desert species. Now remember, we're comparing and contrasting these two species and scorpions and spiders in general. They're both arachnids. They're both of course invertebrates. So let's start there. Arthropods in general, remember, are invertebrates and arachnids are invertebrates too. And invertebrates literally have no bones in their body. They have an exoskeleton. This one has a very obvious exoskeleton or shell. Looks just like a crab or a lobster to me, a little less hard and a little less armored than a lobster or a crab, but a very, very similar animal if you think about it. In fact, um, their ancient relatives are going to be crab or lobster-like creatures from the dinosaur ages. Dinosaur ages? Dinosaur days. Back in the before history, <laughs> prehistoric times, um, they were actually a lot bigger as well. So the scorpion ancestors, for the most part, they are very, very unchanged, by the way. These type of animals have not changed for a long, long time. They've kept the same body structure on um, pretty much the same everything for a long time. They have changed in size and where they hang out. Um, they used to be more of an aquatic type animal and they used to be about four foot long or less sometimes. So the biggest of the big that we know of, and we're always discovering things all the time, so who knows, there might've been different ones than this and bigger ones. Um, the biggest of the big that we have discovered from the past were about four foot long and lived in the ocean and they would come out periodically onto land. Um, so that is pretty neat, right? So they kind of started as an aquatic animal as a lot of animals did back in the old days before any of us were around. Um, so they are so cool. They have this outer shell, which is a lot more obvious than a spider's shell, right? Spiders are fairly soft. They still do have that outer exoskeleton that keeps their body structure up instead of having a skeleton on the inside like us and they don't have hard bones like us right but this animal has a pretty hard exoskeleton as do crabs and lobsters and things like that like we said so they would also have to molt their exoskeleton as they grow this type of scorpion and many large scorpions that are similar to xena um they don't have to molt very often once they reach maturity spiders in general do molt about every other year when they are big like Blondie is, and they might even molt once a year. When they're smaller than that and they're growing up, they molt a lot more often as they're growing up because they need to grow up in order to have, um, you know, the ability to breed like the males especially, and also to have less predators because the smaller you are in nature, the more vulnerable, the more dangerous it is for you, and uh, you wanna grow up quickly. And that's what they try to do. Now, these guys are a very slow growing and long lived animal. This is another arachnid like the Arizona Blonde that actually lives a long time. They can live into their 30s. That actually goes for males and females. So males and females of the African flat rock scorpion, especially, they live a long time. So it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl, you can live extra long life. So that's pretty cool. Um, for some reason, the tarantula males, remember, they don't live very long whatsoever. And that's all tarantulas. Um, most male tarantulas do not make it past five years old. <laughs> so these guys, um, I don't know how old Xena is either because I did receive her as an adult too. I've had her for a few years now. And I just love her. She's so impressive. Um, but she was already this big when I got her. So she could be, I mean, at least 15 or 20 years old. I hope not though, because I want to have her a long time. But she does have a life expectancy of at least 30. Um, what else? These guys are arachnids, like I said, and they have two main body parts. Their main body parts don't look like a figure eight, like a spider does. To me, a spider looks like a figure eight kind of like 
two balls <laughs> basically together like an eight. Um, and these guys really don't have that shape. They're more of a cephalothorax, which is here, just kind of that front little section that's a little more smooth. And then when the ridges start here, that's her abdomen. So cephalothorax and abdomen, but hers is almost like one shape, almost like in like a, a roach or something like that. That's what it reminds me of. And then their tail curls around. Um, but of course the spiders don't have tails. So we'll, we'll talk about that last. Um, these guys have the cephalothorax and abdomen like a spider. They also have eight walking legs. And did you know they have two arms? I bet you did. For a scorpion, they do have very, very obvious arms, which are their pedipalps, which again are technically an extension of their mouth, but they function as arms. And on a scorpion, they are pinchers or claws, <laughs> almost like a lobster has or a crab, which is fantastic and really cool. Um, so a lot more demonstrative and obvious uh, with their arms. So most people don't even uh, know or are aware that spiders have two arms because they kind of blend into the rest of their legs. They look the same. Nobody that I know of does not know that scorpions do not have claws. That's pretty, pretty obvious and famous about them, right? Scorpions are famous for having those two giant claws. Some scorpions have um, thinner claws as well, but they always do have those, those pinchers or claws in the front. Those are their arms, right? big arms. They also are very famous for having the tail, right? She's kind of curling her tail to the side, which a flat rock scorpion is known to do because they can squeeze under flat surfaces. That's why they call them a flat rock scorpion. They can kind of go under a small space like that and very easily just fit right underneath a small crevasse, crevice, <laughs> or a flat rock. Um, they also do hide away just like the Arizona blonde from the sun all day long. They only ever come out at night and they only eat about once a month as well, just like the Arizona blonde tarantula. And that's because they have a similar biome or habitat, which is the desert in South Africa. It's a different continent, but a similar lifestyle, which I find so interesting. Not every scorpion is like that, just like not every tarantula is like that. Some tarantulas live in the tropics, some tarantulas live in the forest and everything in between, savanna. Um, some scorpions live in the savanna, forest, tropics, all over the place. The only place that you can't find tarantulas or scorpions are very, very cold places like Antarctica or the tundra and things like that. But that makes a lot of sense because it's too cold for them and there's a lot less resources, but they can live in hot places like deserts, dry areas. Pretty awesome. That's pretty impressive that an animal over time went from being an ocean animal to a desert animal. It's quite the opposite, isn't it? Now that I think about it, that is very impressive. Now those scorpions are known for their tail, like I was trying to say. She can squeeze her tail flat, like they're kind of flatten her tail, but it can also come over her back. Let's see if we can get her to do that. You wanna stick your tail up so everybody can see? It's a little bit better. Kind of nudge her a little bit. That tail can fold right over. The tail of a scorpion, the proper term for that is the metasoma. This means like the hind end, metasoma. So it's their hind end. It's not really a tail at all. It's a segmented hind end. That's an extension of their abdomen. And what it functions as is, a, is basically a big crane that can come over and sting, right? It can sting the enemy or it can sting prey. Um, at the end of the metasoma, it's gonna be the telson, which is like a little ball or kind of a oval shape, and that contains her venom. That is a big difference between a spider and a scorpion. Spiders contain and keep their venom in their face, <laughs> right in the front with the chelicerae. A scorpion does not do that. They have the telson instead. That's where they store their venom. And at the end of their telson, of course, they have a stinger, and that is what delivers their venom instead of fangs. Scorpions do not have fangs. They have a stinger. Can you see it? Up against my white skin my lily white skin. Um, you can see that, that stinger kind of curling upward. That was a really neat stinger. So cool. 
that might make you a little bit scared of scorpions, just like spiders sometimes bite, scorpions sometimes sting. But this species of scorpion is completely harmless to humans. Hum <laughs> what are we? Humans. It's getting late, you guys. <laughs> uh, completely harmless to humans. Their pinch can pinch, but it's not that bad. So this species of scorpion is really, really um, great for an animal ambassador because they're safe to hold. They're very impressive to look at and you can see all their body parts that make them a scorpion and learn all about them. And she stays perfectly still as well. She might adjust a little bit here and there as I move, but she is a very, very well-behaved scorpion, isn't she? So you might be a little bit worried about me. I might get pinched. Ooh, don't worry, I'll be fine. I might get stung. Oh my goodness. She's not gonna sting me at, at this um, positioning and everything. She never stings. Um, the only time that she has ever stung me and it has happened and I, I'm, I'm here today. So I'm obviously fine. Um, she has stung me when I've gone to pick her up sometimes because I'm sure that's a little bit startling when you're not, um, when you're the scorpion, not understanding why you're being picked up. And your natural instinct as a wild animal is to be a little bit sassy. So she has pinched me and she has stung me. But guess what? I could barely even feel the stinger. Don't tell her but she's just not that impressive when it comes to being a venomous animal. Um, their venom is super duper duper ultra mild and barely does anything even to prey. In fact, they do not use their venom to use against prey at all. Some scorpions that have much fatter tails, skinnier claws, they have to have some other way of making sure their prey doesn't get away. Remember their prey is things like roaches and wiggly bugs like crickets. So in order to incapacitate and paralyze their prey, they have special venom in their telson, which is on the end of their metasoma and delivered with a stinger. But that's other species of scorpion. Other species of scorpion, they're not as strong as this one. They don't have big, strong, giant claws like her. They have thin claws. So they need a, a way to incapacitate and paralyze their prey. So by stinging the prey, by reaching over with that crane-like metasoma tail, um, they can sting and incapacitate, paralyze, and keep still their food while they hang on to it. And guess what? A scorpion does not have to liquefy their food. Scorpions can chew their food. They have chelicerae, which don't have venom in them, but they have saliva in them. So their chelicerae are their mouth parts. So in scorpions, that is very different than a spider. Spiders do not have um, a chewing mouth. Scorpions do. Their mouth looks like two more little tiny claws right there. They're super small, but they're basically like little tiny claws, which help her to eat. Imagine there's two of them and they basically kind of drool all over their food while they're holding that food still with their claws and they just eat it, eat it, eat it. Um, this scorpion just starts eating it because they have enough power in their claws to hold the cricket or the roach still and just start eating it. Sounds mean, but that's just the way it is, I guess. Um, other scorpions, again, they don't have enough strength in their arms and claws to be able to hold that animal still, so they sting to paralyze and incapacitate or to where they can't move and the bug cannot get away so they can eat for that day. And that's what they use their venom for. So most venom of most scorpions is totally harmless to humans. In fact, there are so many species of scorpion. There's over 1,600 species of known scorpion that are currently living on the planet today on every continent except for Antarctica, by the way. Same thing with tarantulas. There are more species of tarantulas and spiders than scorpions are, but for scorpions, there's around a little over 1,600 of them, and only about 2% are actually deadly to people. That's extremely rare. Now, I do not remember which ones are deadly to people. That is something to look up and learn about too. I am not an entomologist, but I'm always learning all the time about these wonderful arthropods and uh, arachnids and invertebrates <laughs> all in one.
and I sure do enjoy learning about them. They are fantastic. But there's nothing really to worry about. If you get stung by a scorpion and you're worried about that and you have a reaction, just go to the hospital. You will be okay. <laughs> um, most of the time it just hurts, kind of like a bee sting. Um, and most people are not allergic to scorpions. I've never heard of anybody being allergic. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, far more people are allergic to bee stings than they are to scorpions. Now, if you do live in a, in a place and this could be a lot of places where there are scorpions. Um, some common sense habits are good to start doing, especially when it gets warmer. For example, when I live in Texas and there are scorpions in Texas, one thing that we tend to do is turn our shoes upside down and shake them out because sometimes scorpions are just looking for somewhere to shelter away during the day. And that might be in your shoe. <laughs> that is just the truth. So a lot of us Texans and uh, warm weather dwelling type people in the United States, we know that bugs can be in our home sometimes. And we know that scorpions sometimes seek shelter in our shoes. So that's a good thing to teach your kiddos is to shake their shoes out and to make sure there's no scorpion. If you have a scorpion problem, call a professional for help. <laughs> Please be careful with that. But other than that, most scorpions are very harmless to humans and they do us a lot of help just like spiders do. They eat a lot of bugs for us. Um, the bugs that they eat, like the roaches and the flies, etc., can do us far more harm than the, the predators themselves, the scorpion and the spiders. These guys don't carry diseases that they can give us and those other bugs that I just mentioned, like mosquitoes, flies, roaches, of course, those guys can make us sick. And we need to definitely have predators in the environment that keep those numbers of all those other creepy crawlies under control, right? And then of course, these guys have predators too to keep them under control. In um, South Africa, where these guys are from, their main predators are animals like meerkats and foxes and birds and lizards. So a lot of animals eat them too. Their main defense and way of staying safe in general is just by hiding away. They are very good at hiding underneath very, very flat rocks and skinny little spaces. And that's what they're known for, the African flat rock scorpion. But they're they're eaten by all those animals I just listed and more. So they are a good food source for those animals too. Luckily, this is not an endangered species. They're doing just fine in their natural habitat in South Africa. They're only found in South Africa. And uh, there are many other scorpion species all over Africa, including emperor scorpions. Emperor scorpions live in the center of Africa, more in savannas and forests. And they live in a much more, um, uh, rainy type climate than a desert species would. Pretty cool, huh? So what are some of the differences we talked about? Well, that tail is where they have the, the capacity to sting, right? So the metasoma has the telson on it and the stinger in a scorpion. They're both venomous animals, so they have that in common. Their venom is used for different reasons. For a spider, it's mostly to um, liquefy their food and to be able to actually drink their food instead of chewing it up. A scorpion can chew their food, so they're mostly using their venom to incapacitate and paralyze their prey too. Not to say that spiders sometimes, you know, they can also paralyze their prey too, but mostly it's gonna be to liquefy. And um, where they deliver the venom is very different, right? So they have the, the tail for the scorpion with the the, the Telson and stinger. And then a spider doesn't have a stinger. They have fangs for delivery of their venom, right? A spider has those two arms in the front that are called pedipalps, but they're very small in comparison to the scorpion's claws. And they're a lot different, right? A scorpion can physically hold on and pinch things with their claws, which is pretty awesome. What's another difference? Ooh, there's something I forgot to mention is the way they have babies. I mentioned how the spiders have babies, which is by eggs, and they store their eggs in their little um, purse that they make out of their web, their web purse, or the egg sack, if you will. And um, they wait for the eggs to hatch. And then they, they basically come out as little baby tiny spiders called spiderlings. And the spiderlings will go on their own after that. 
scorpions actually give live birth and they don't have nearly as many babies for the most part as tarantulas do. Remember, tarantulas can have into the thousands of babies at once. Um, scorpions typically don't have nearly that many babies. And that's because they have to take care of their young for a little while. So scorpions are born live. And uh, in fact, Xena actually had babies for us a long time ago, a couple years ago, and she had 39 babies. This species can have up to 60 babies, but that's not nearly as many as like what I said, like into the thousands for some of the tarantula species. Some of them can have up to 5,000. So those baby scorpions, when they're born, they're kind of soft and they're actually white or light colored. And they'll hang out on mom's back for a while. They'll actually cluster together there in a little huddle together and kind of hang on to each other and hang on to mom. And once their exoskeleton hardens a little bit and turns brown, that's when they're ready to kind of go on their own. And baby scorpions are only about four weeks old when they're on their own. So that's pretty impressive. But before then, mom will actually take care of them by giving them food. She will also give them moisture. Sometimes she will um, actually eat up the food a little bit and take some of that food from her mouth and put it on her back for the babies. And she's going to teach them how to eat and make sure they have at least one or two meals before they go on their own. Isn't that amazing? Um, they do protect their babies as well. And they will kind of like pinch at predators or hide away from predators to make sure that they're safe. And she will sting them too, even though this species, again, isn't very powerful on their venom level. Their venom power is very, very weak. Um, but other scorpions will sting to deter enemies from their babies, which I find so fascinating. So scorpions are excellent moms in a different way than the spiders. Spiders keep their babies in a purse until they're ready to hatch out and they just run away. <laughs> and uh, the scorpions will actually keep their babies for a little while. But the biggest difference is going to be live birth and a scorpion versus having eggs like a spider, even though they're both arachnids. Isn't that neat? Um, both arachnid types do have hair all over their body. I did mention the spider's hair. I don't know how well you can see this, but let me see. Um, Xena has a whole bunch of hair on her body. Can you see that right here? You can especially see some of the hair. Hmm, I made it worse. There we go. You can see some of the hair. It's very, very um, blonde or kind of reddish blonde on her. And it's not nearly as obvious, of course, as a tarantula because tarantulas have like pretty colors that their hair can be and things like that, um, of course. Blondie is blonde and she has a lot more hair than a tarantula than a scorpion does, excuse me. Um, but the scorpions still also use their sense of touch to be able to view the world. Their sense of touch is their number one sense, feeling vibrations, feeling um, the movement that would come near them, such as a moth flying overhead. These types of scorpions and other types are actually known to catch flying insects out of the air just by sensing them with the vibrations and their sense of touch and hairs. Isn't that amazing? So exciting. So they actually, maybe like a moth fly by like this and they'll like grab them right out of the air, start eating them. Pretty cool. They're amazing hunters. I'm sure that does take a little bit of skill to acquire, but that is how sensitive their sense of touch is. Isn't that incredible? I just love them. Another thing that would be different though is the amount of eyes. On this species and many species of scorpion, they have six eyes. She's actually got two eyes right on the top. I'm not poking her in the eye, but I'm just letting you know where they are right here. There are two little beady eyes right there on the top. Oh, you can really see them there. I'll try to stop shaking. It's hard. It's hard. There's her two tiny eyes on top. So she's got two on the top and then she's got two eyes on each little cheek. <laughs> it's not really a cheek, but it looks like a cheek. Um, kind of where the, the start of her claw begins right in the front like a cheek um so kind of like a little cheekbone so she's got two up here and two on each side of her face so that means she has six eyes total 
unlike the spider that has all the eyes in one clump, the one that we met, right? And there are eight of them in one clump. So both the spider that we met, the tarantula blondie, and the scorpion Xena, they have very poor eyesight. Their vision is just based on shadows, movement, light change, things like that. And their sense of touch is their main sense. So they have very similar ways of viewing the world, if you will. They can also smell and they can detect pheromones and things when it's time for breeding and such. Um, other than that, they don't really use any other senses. Um, I don't know about scorpions, but I'm pretty sure this is true about them. I do know that tarantulas do not have a brain either. They have ganglia, which is like kind of a bundle of nerves, which functions kind of like a brain enough for them to function, but not really enough uh, learning ability. I'm not sure about the scorpion. That's something for me to learn too. If you guys know, please let me know. Um, but I believe they are similar with their internal anatomy as well. They're also very similar in how they breathe. They have what we call book lungs, um, which are similar to fish gills. But remember, that makes sense that this used to be an aquatic animal and their book lungs function kind of like gills, but in, in dry land or air instead of underwater anymore. Um, and they do breathe with sphericals, which are two tiny holes. I believe it's just two. I can't remember how many the tarantula has now that I think it is two for the tarantula too, but they just have them on their belly. So their spheres or the breathing holes are actually below them on um, tarantulas and scorpions. And for insects, most of them have spheres all along the top of their abdomen. So that is very different than an arachnid. But these arachnids have the, the two spheres that they breathe with on their belly. Isn't that cool? So tarantulas and, and um, scorpions may not be for everyone, but I think they're fantastic and fascinating creatures. And they have a lot in common and they have a lot different, even though they are so similar. So I hope you guys have enjoyed our program today. Zena did a fantastic job and so did Blondie. She's waving goodbye already. She's going to adjust herself and crawl around a little bit. A lot of people do ask me, or a lot of kids, I guess, is she real? Is she alive? Yes, she is. She rarely moves during programs, so I understand why they're asking that. Um, but every once in a while, she does move around just like this. Look at her go. She's a lot less wiggly than our emperor scorpion, um, Matilda. Matilda is very, very active, and she's really fun to show in person. But for the live stream, it's a little more difficult. So those of you that saw our bloopers with her one time, um, she was actually moving so much that she kept tumbling, <laughs> which is okay. They're they're actually a lot less fragile than a tarantula is. So she would just like kind of crawl onto my keyboard every now and then. So that was kind of funny. Uh, but Zena is really good at just kind of gripping onto my hand. Doesn't hurt me at all. And she can just kind of feel secure and hang on. And that's what they do. They're going to go under flat rocks. They might go up onto the side a little bit. They might go under there. They're definitely not claustrophobic like me. I'm extremely claustrophobic. So I would not be a scorpion if I were an animal. And I would not be a tarantula either because they go into small spaces too. But especially these flat rock scorpions. Okay, you guys, I hope you have enjoyed our creepy crawly session today. Um, next week, I promise I'll have something a little bit more cute and cuddly for you guys. I like to balance it out a little bit, but I thought I would just compare and contrast two more animals, just like we did last week, only two similar animals instead of two very different animals. If you didn't check out our program last week, make sure and check it out. We met a really cool ball python named Prince and a hedgehog named Shirley, and we got to learn all about them and their differences and their similarities. I'm pretty sure it was Shirley. It might have been Laverne. We have Laverne and Shirley, and I can't remember who I selected. Shirley actually worked today for the San Antonio Public Library program. I'm pretty sure it was Shirley though. Um, anyway, so we will see you guys next week. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and stay safe out there. Enjoy your summer so far and uh, make sure and tune in next week at 6.30 p.m. Central Time next Wednesday, same time, same place, Facebook and 
YouTube. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do me a favor and do that. That is a great free way to help us out. It really does help us quite a bit to increase our following over there on YouTube. Make sure and like the video, share the video, comment, all the things. And uh, if you would like to donate to our zoo, there are donation options down below, including Venmo, Cash App, PayPal, and Amazon wishlist. And you can visit onceinawild.com to learn more about our animal program. We will see you guys next time. We are not the